Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people, loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Sweet spirit. Man, God is good. Well, I'd like to invite our friend, uh, maybe new to you, friend, but he's he's been our friend for a while. Come on up, Noah. <laughs> wow. Um, Noah's uh, our our was our intern a while back, and you're uh, this is your third time returning, isn't it? Man, what's wrong with us? Why we why why do we keep asking you back? No. It's your fault. <laughs> but uh, I'd like to to pray over our time as we're getting into worship with the word. Worship doesn't end with the song. Worship continues. It's a lifestyle, and uh, we worship in the word of God today. So I'm going to pray for you and let you roll. Okay, Heavenly Father, I thank you for my friend Noah and. Uh, Lord, I ask that your spirit truly fill him. May he be cognizant of you. May he be cognizant of those that are listening. Lord, may heaven and earth collide in this moment. And as we listen to him, may we actually be learning at your feet, Jesus. May his words be clear comprehensive and articulate and may he speak with humility may we receive what is said with the same humility we trust you Jesus and love you in your name we pray Amen. am I on grandpa am I, am I coming to okay thank you grandpa Grandpa is good. He always makes sure my mic's on. Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you all again for uh, the third time since I've uh, left you last, would have been last summer. Um, it is always good to walk in and see all your faces and be reminded of the times we've shared together, the laughs. We've shared many at my expense, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> So, I gotta be honest, I'm just really tired. I'm tired. I don't know if anybody, I just feel tired. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for the validation. Uh, I had a really rough week. Um, I had a lot of work to do. Got very minimal work done. Uh, Whether it was just, I don't know exactly what was hitting me this week. Um, Whether it was just exhaustion from all the weeks prior. Just general lack of motivation I'm not sure uh, and of course uh, that means I'm a terrible procrastinator 
which means I put off all the work until the last minute, and then I proceed to do what should have been done over the course of 10 hours due in two hours, and somehow it gets in. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen this time, but I'll let you know how it goes. Um, and so to be honest, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be real with you guys. I thought about mailing this sermon in. I really did. Just like mailing it in, picking something I already written before, and just like fly, fly into the next week because I had too much stuff to do. Um, and to be honest, I, I don't know how well developed this sermon is to begin with. Um, but I... I feel like I need to say this, number one, because I feel like I, I owe it to you guys to be vulnerable to you, just given our past history and the way we've uh, interacted with each other. Um, but number two, when I thought of this sermon, I really didn't have you guys in mind. Like, I wasn't thinking about you at all. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, I really wasn't thinking about you guys at all. Uh, that's, that's good. I'm glad, that, I'm glad the feeling's mutual. Uh, but on the car ride over... And maybe the day before, as I was feeling a little convicted about my lack of effort on this, um, I, thought, I thought to myself, you know, this could be, maybe is one of the last times I get to preach in front of you. I don't know what the future holds, to be honest. I'm, I'm moving on in life, and so I don't know how many shots I've got here with you all. And so, and I thought about it, and I, I just... I hope this sermon, is every, this sermon is everything that you have been in my life, but everything I hope and expect you to be moving forward without me. Like I said, I don't, I don't know if this is truly the last time I'm going to be here, but I feel like it, it deserves mentioning. So my name is Noah, but you'd be surprised that I've never actually preached on the story of Noah in the six years I've been doing this. But I figured it's time uh, to preach after my namesake. I figured six years was to keep it off the back burner long enough. Um, and so we'll be in this, the story of Noah. And I'm just going to give you kind of the general lead up to Noah, maybe the general outline of the story, and then we'll get into why this even came into my head. Um, but in Genesis, it begins with, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the very first verse of the whole Bible. And so it sets up this entire, and even in that one sentence, there's an entire theological underpinning to the whole rest of Scripture that'll follow through the rest of the way. Um, God is creator. God is all-powerful. God is sovereign. And God creates out of nothing. Uh, but it says the earth was, was formless and void uh, in the Scripture. But it actually implies that something was there to be formless and void. And so actually, in the Hebrew mindset, they're actually thinking of kind of a chaotic, kind of watery type existence of just purposeless, purposelessness and chaos would maybe be, be the way to describe that image. And so in creation, God, out of the purposelessness and the chaos, brings order and peace. And so we get the, the movements of God bringing land out of the water and then bringing fruit onto the land and then placing the animals and all, all the rest of creation. And finally we get to humanity, his kind of like last act to make this whole creation very good. 
And he creates humanity to, to be both priest and governor are the two words I would use and many of my professors at school would use. Priest in the sense that their whole role is to worship God and be in relationship with God and continue that, that movement. But governor in the sense that they are responsible for the rest of creation as well. Their existence is not wholly defined to them, but is also an outward expression to the rest of creation. But the problem becomes humanity thinks, well, you know, God's great and all, and thanks for creating me, God, but, you know, I'm just going to do my own thing. And so they reject God's good and gracious order through some trickery there. And so humanity falls from relationship with God and becomes separated and they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And then from there, it's kind of like just a downward spiral uh, through the years. And so in chapter 4, Cain will kill Abel, which is the first murder of the world. And then even after that, it gets even, even worse. <laughs> if, if it could get worse, it gets even worse. Uh, until we finally get to the time of Noah. And chapter 6 in Genesis just has a lovely title in the NIV, Wickedness in the World. It really starts our story off strong. I think, personally. And so God looks at creation in chapter 6. And he's not very pleased with the way things have panned out. And so chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, it says this. The Lord saw how, the great, how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply, deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth human race that I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. And so you see a really frightening statement in, in this scripture. That the wickedness in humanity has so driven God that he actually regrets making them. The word is actually, I think, would be better translated as repent. That God turns away. Repent is like a 180 turn, essentially, is what it means. Um, but God essentially turns away from humanity. He repents of creating them. But notice that humanity's wickedness is not their own, is not just encompassed to them. That the punishment of wickedness is not just encompassed to them. That it actually moves out to the rest of creation. That God will not just destroy humanity. He'll actually destroy the rest of the creatures that move along the ground. And all the plant life. And everything's going away. But even in that scary statement, verse 8 brings just this little glimmer of hope. Before we get to the next chapter. Before we get along in chapter 6. And verse 8 says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. 
which, is, which then is the start of our whole saga of Noah and his ark building tendencies. But I think there are several theological statements that we can pull, pull out of that, those three little verses. Number one, God sees the, every inclination of the human heart. That God is not blind to how we feel, to how we think, to how we interact with each other. And that God then judges humanity by this content. That God does not look at the outward action alone, although it is important to God. But God looks at the human heart and sees its true desires. And that that generation of humanity had been so formed and shaped by the wickedness which they had cultivated in their hearts. That they had actively practiced. That they had shaped themselves in that way so much. That it was so far removed from anything God had ever imagined. Maybe not imagined, maybe hoped for would be a better word there. But also in in that little statement in in verse 8, God is, yes, filled with justice in that God is just to destroy humanity for its wickedness, but God is also filled with merciful grace in that God sees Noah and takes exception to him. And so we find out why God takes exception to Noah. In verse 9 of chapter 6, it says, This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And so God sees Noah's faithfulness, and he has mercy on him. He is gracious to Noah because Noah has not continued in the relationship of others around him. Noah has cultivated a relationship with the Lord actively and is seeking to do what is right by God's standard. And so God tells Noah, hey, I see humanity's wickedness. I've seen what they've done, how they've corrupted my, my creation and my, my earth. And so I'm going to destroy them. And because of the violence they have wrought upon creation, I will seek to repay that violence. But God just doesn't stop there. He tells Noah, hey, Noah, build an ark. And... In most of our minds, because, you know, God's about to flood the world, that means a boat. Uh, but that word ark doesn't necessarily mean a boat. Uh, it is imagined as a boat in Noah's time, because obviously boats float. But that word ark is also used, it's the same word used in the Ark of the Covenant, which I think is rather fascinating, that there's a connection between the ark that Noah builds and also the Ark of the Covenant. And we'll get to that in a minute. But God makes very clear to Noah that this ark is not just for you. That God commands Noah to build an ark that his family might be saved from the flood. But he also 
then commands Noah to save the rest of the animals and the rest of the created creatures that are on the earth. And so he tells them, bring two of each animal into the ark with you when it's time. And so God is showing his, his care for the rest of the created order. That along with his image bearers, saving his image bearers, his loved part of creation, he's also saving the rest of creation with it. And so Noah, to his credit, trusts God in what God is saying, and he, he builds the ark. And then in chapter 7, the flood finally comes. In chapter 7, verse 11, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, on, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And so remember when I said in the very start of my explanation, kind of our summary of scripture so far to, to Noah, that in this formless and void creation, uh, the chaos and purposelessness is actually represented by kind of a watery type existence for creation. That God, who had separated the chaos from the order and held back the chaos, is now releasing the chaos back into creation. And so it's this complete undoing of the created process that God had established. And God has released this chaos back into creation in order to completely decimate it. And so it's really interesting then all Noah and all the animals get in the ark before this happens. And I think a really interesting statement in, in the scripture is God actually shuts the ark behind them. And almost in a sense, I think of it as he kind of turns the lock and key and takes the key out. And he shuts the door behind them and it stays sealed during this whole process. And then in the chapter, it says that everything was wiped out from the flood. And so now every, everything in the earth in the story is now under, underwater, even the highest peaks of the mountains. And it says Noah remained in the ark. And it rained and it stormed and it, and it did so for many, many days. But the turning point in the story happens in chapter 8. And it's the statement that begins chapter 8. It says, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. But God remembered Noah. And I don't know if God ever forgot Noah. Truthfully. But I bet Noah felt pretty forgotten. <laughs> I think I would feel pretty forgotten if I was crammed in a boat-like structure 
with a bunch of other animals and all my family that I can't get away from for 150 days. That sounds horrible. Not, not, not the situation you want to be in. But the scripture reminds us that God remembers. But he just didn't remember Noah. He remembered the wild animals and the livestock and everything that Noah had taken with him in the ark. And then, similar to how it happened in the creation narrative, God's, God sends a wind over the waters, and the waters begin to recede. And if you remember in the creation narrative, God's spirit actually hovers over the water at the beginning. And so in the, same, in the same kind of vein, God's spirit then rushes over the waters, and the waters begin to recede. And so God is being, has been completely faithful to Noah through this entire process, which strikes me very odd, because God had every right to not save humanity. But he preserves something. And now God is holding back again, once again, the chaotic forces and bring reestablishing order in creation. But what's also really important, I think, in the story is that Noah doesn't stay on the ark. Noah doesn't stay in the place which has offered him salvation. He actually moves out. And God calls Noah when the waters have finally receded. And Noah tests this in a in a variety of different ways to make sure the waters are actually gone. But Noah doesn't actually move until God says in verse 15 and 16, then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. And so again, you see this parallel with the original creation story. God once again tells creation, it is good that you have survived. Now go and be fruitful and multiply and repopulate and bring flourishing back to my creation. And so at the end of the story, God establishes a covenant with Noah and really the rest of creation. Um, he promises to keep the processes of creation going, that there will be seed time, that there will be harvest, there will be cold and heat, there will be summer and winter, that all the natural processes of the earth will continue with God's promise. And God promises never to destroy the earth in this way again. And to seal that promise, it says in Genesis 9, verses 12 through 13, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you, that every and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I will set my rainbow 
in the clouds. And, I will be, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And so uh, the, the image going on there is God is actually taking his war bow. It, it translates in the um, NIV, it translates it rainbow, but God's actually, the image is he's taking his war bow and he's setting it up. It's this image that God has promised not to do violence on this creation anymore, on this whole of creation, that God will, will put away his right to do so. And that he will keep the systems of creation going. And it's a very gracious act by God. And so you have this whole story of Noah and the ark. Um, and it's, it's thousands, thousands of years old. It's an old. This is one of the oldest stories in, in the scripture. Um, I think it's really neat that this story, before it was written down, was actually told orally. And you can tell that because if you know the first half of the story, you can tell the back half. And that's how they remembered the story. If you could, tell the, you could learn the first half of the story, you could know the back half and how it ended. But I think it brings to the question, you know, what does this story say to us today? It certainly says things about God being gracious, God being merciful. Those, those are, I think, are pretty evident in the story. Um, but, you know, I've been in churches a lot in my life. I've been in a lot of different types of churches. Uh, and a lot of churches actually communicate to their people in pretty creative ways. So, in the ancient traditions, primarily the Catholic in Eastern Orthodox traditions. If you go into a Catholic church, if you've never been in one, I encourage you to go in there. They're actually pretty cool. Um, they have all sorts of art and pictures and all sorts of statues and symbols that I just find fascinating because the whole point of the, of the building itself is to actually communicate things to you as an audience. And it's one of the things I wish we never lost in the Reformation, but we kind of did, for a number of reasons. But as soon as, as soon as you walk into one of those churches, it becomes very clear that there are certain things that are being communicated to you, whether it's through the paintings of scriptural stories or different saints in the, lives of the, church, in the life of the church. Even, even like the building itself is structured to kind of bring your gaze up to the heavens. And I promise I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> uh, but I think even in our churches, we do it. We do the same thing, but we just don't realize that we're doing it, right? And so when I first walk into this sanctuary, what do I, what do I see? What's very evident in the front, it's the cross, right? That's probably the thing that's going to draw your eye. And that's very purposeful. And even the fact that the cross is empty is very purposeful as well. So we look at the cross and we're reminded, you know, of Calvary, Jesus' death and resurrection. 
the cross as an instrument of death, but also as an instrument of victory. And Jesus isn't on the cross because he is not there anymore. He's resurrected. He has victory over that instrument. And maybe to kind of notify one of the differences between us and the Catholics is the Catholics actually have Jesus on the cross when they depict the cross. That's very purposeful as well. Because in their way they're doing the Mass, each Mass they are almost like re-crucifying Christ in a sense. And, it, and it's all strung up in the Eucharist, which is the center of the service. But I say all that um, to say I have a running theory about church ceilings, which is strange. And it's not your ceiling. Your ceiling doesn't match this theory. I'm sorry. I asked Stephen for pictures like on Tuesday, and I think he thought I was really, really weird because I was actually asking for pictures of ceilings. Um, but at my original, the church I grew up in uh, has a very different ceiling than this. It's actually kind of more pointed a little bit. But um, in it, it's rounded at the top, but it kind of comes up in a sort of like triangle shape. Um, and then Bree and I go to a church in Dayton, State and First Church, and they have a very similar ceiling to the ceiling that my church has. And then one of my friends posted a picture on, Insta- on Snapchat of them in service Sunday morning, and I looked at their ceiling, I thought, huh, that kind of looks similar to the ceiling I go to at my church and the ceiling from my childhood church. And so all this uh, kind of sprung up an idea in my head uh, that I always thought those ceilings looked like the underside of boats. And that the beams that come up and support the ceiling looked like ribbing on a boat. So if you've never seen a boat in your life, it's, you know, it's got a very U kind of shape, but there's also beams that run across the, the floor of a boat, and it's to help support the boat, and it's called ribbing. And to me, that communicates to the congregation this flood narrative in the scripture that much like the ark for Noah is a vehicle of salvation that God draws all of that he all creation that he's saving and Noah himself into the ark in the same way I think it communicates to the congregation that this story is a metaphor for the church, in a sense. And actually, it, the way it moves within the story, I think, is very similar to the way we move in church. Right? So, we start. We're out in the chaotic waters of the world. But then we hear this call from God. And it's, and it's not like we're here by accident. No, we are here because we, we, whether we perceive it or not, have heard an intentional God, call from God to be here and experience his grace. And so while we don't enter the church two by two, necessarily, we come through the doors of the church. And here we are gathered as a people, 
we experience the grace of God that in the chaotic waters of the world, in the chaos and the purposelessness that reigns outside of the church, that here we experience in a small way God's created order, how God has ordered the world for himself and how he's meant to order the world. And in the same way, the ark is almost this microcosm of God's created order in the story, a preservation of that order. And so in the same way, we're gathered in, and we experience that order. But we don't stay in the ark, and neither did Noah. But that, in fact, God calls us out of the church building, of community with each other, to move to the rest of the world. And to go, and to bring this created order to the purposelessness and the chaos of the rest of the world. So that's my theory on church ceilings. Thank you. <laughs> but I say all that because I think it really give, I think the arc narrative really gives us a way of being in the world. And I think part of my tiredness from this week is I am tired of the chaos and the uncreated disorder in the world outside that I find around me. In that it's easy to think of the church building as an ark, but actually we as a people are an ark. That you as a group of people offer each other a certain grace and salvation that is given first through God and enacted by God. And that it is God who calls us together for the purpose of our salvation, for the purpose of our saving. But that we are also meant to be for the people out in the chaos and the uncreated order something for their saving too. That we are not called just to say, just to experience this with each other, but that we're called to go out and ex- experience this with, with people who don't even know it's there yet. And that's my hope for you. Maybe as I leave this place today, that you would be a people that would go out and search for the chaotic uncreated, disordered places of the world and bring the order and salvation that God has revealed to you. My hope is if it's your first time here that you would, if you're tired from the purposelessness and the chaos of the world, that this would be a place that you could escape that. You could just find rest and just sit in the ark for a while. But don't stay in the ark. God calls all his people to move. Let's pray. Lord, you have very intentionally gathered us here today. We're not here by accident. 
We are not here because we just thought, oh, it would be a nice day to go gather with some people who I like and have lunch with afterward and call it good for the rest of the day. But we are here by the grace and power of your Spirit. And so, Lord, help this people be an ark to their community. Help this people work with you in bringing your salvation to this community, Lord. And while they belong to this community of people, Lord, may they also know that they are called to be out in the chaotic places of the world, Lord, to bring your order, to bring your light, to bring your truth. And may we who are weary and heavy burdened find rest within your people within your presence among your people. God, may they be all what you have hoped for them and what you have called them to. Amen. Amen. I want to clarify something for you. I didn't only think that you were weird when you sent me that text to take pictures of our ceiling, but I also still think that you're weird. Thank you. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you, Noah. I, I appreciate you, and I, I, I think, I think very fitting. Um, something that stuck out for me that you said. Um, Genesis eight. God remembered Noah. That Noah probably forgot, uh, thought that he had been forgotten, but God had never, not once, forgotten. Noah. So I want you to know if you think that you have been forgotten, God has not forgotten you. He's right there with you. He's holding you in. And I appreciate that statement that you made very, very much so. And so I, can we just say thank you to this young man who's learning. He's learning how to bring the message, and he, he brought a good truth today. So thank you, my friend. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you, Bree. Before we, before we go today, uh, a couple things I just want to bring to your attention. The picture Noah forgot. Yeah. The boat picture. Wait, no, that's a church. My bad. No. <laughs> uh, hey, you know what? Um, there have been a lot of needs in our, our own community here for those folks that are part of our congregation. And those needs have been communicated through our prayer chain. It's the third quadrant on the right-hand side. Um, send your prayer requests, your praises, and uh, to the prayer chain. Anytime that you need lifted to the Lord in prayer, wapaknaz at gmail.com. Anytime that God has done something miraculous and amazing, wapaknaz at gmail.com. Send it there, and we'll communicate that. Appreciate you. Uh, also, the first quadrant there, 
If you're new here or you've been here in a while, we'd like to know where you live. Not that we can be creepers, no, but that we can support you and send you cards and appreciate you uh, throughout the year uh, because we got folks that do that. So would you go ahead and go online to our digital connection card, fill in that new address or that new residence, let us know. Um, also, thank you. Uh, we sent eight boxes. Uh, the first shipment of material has been sent out to Matthew. And uh, eight boxes. And I want to say thank you on behalf of Matthew and his wife and his kids, his unit, as well as Lana, who's been coordinating that. Um, last minute uh, idea. If you have any, like, Christmas, small, small Christmas trinkets, small trees, things like that, that can bring some life to a desert land. Would you mind bringing those in next week so we can get a shipment out to his unit to just kind of spruce it up, pun intended, uh, for Christmas and just allow them to have a little Christmas taste when they're not here with their family. And uh, happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Remember, tonight we're making lasagna. Tomorrow we're serving lasagna. Would you please stand as we uh, head out for our Thanksgiving? If you think there's Wednesday church this week, there's not. Just let you know. There's not. You be with family. Enjoy your family. Uh, gorge yourself on turkey and stuffing and sweet potatoes and ham and duck or whatever you eat. Cereal. I don't know. But just enjoy your time with the family. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Nas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.